Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode we are finally doing it. We're reviewing the game of games, Arc Nova. The hotness, the thing that everyone's been raving about for months now. We are going to give our two cents on it. We're also going to talk about some unlocked kid games. And then we are finally going to also re- be reviewing Honey Buzz, which we've referenced a bunch of times. And I feel like it's about time we finally <laughs> talk about it, you know? Yeah. And then in our discussion topic this week, we're actually going to be doing another top 10 list. This is uh, top 10 highest rated games we really need to play, but yeah. haven't. and might yeah. shock you that we didn't. <laughs> a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, just a, a, a variety of things. But before we talk about our top 10 list, let's go ahead and dive right into some reviews. What do you think, Natasha? Yeah, we got to talk about Arc Nova. I feel like we're late to the party, but it still needs to be done. I feel <laughs> we like just at have this to point, do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I They're feel still like, available. I see the games everywhere now. Would, would this actually be a board game podcast if we didn't look at Arc Nova? Probably no. not. All right. So let's talk about Arc Nova. It is an action management game designed by Matthias Wiggy, art by Luik Bilio, Dennis Lahausen, Stefan Baker, and Christoph Tisch, published by Capstone Games. In this game, players are designing and building a modern zoo. They do this by taking turns doing one of the five available actions in the game until the game end is triggered. On a player's turn, they will choose one of the five actions and perform that action. But the catch is the longer you wait to take an action, the stronger it becomes. Each player has a player board that represents their zoo, and under that board is where the action cards are placed, under the values 1 through 5. When you take an action, you move that card to the 1 spot and then push the remaining cards further up. Taking an action in the 5 spot is more powerful than taking an action in the 1 spot. So you want to plan your actions to maximize the value you get from each one. So what are the 5 actions? The first action is to take cards. Each player is going to have a hand of cards that they will be playing throughout the game, and this action lets players acquire new cards. The second action is to build. Players begin with a blank player board. This action lets players build enclosures to house the different animals that they may play from their hand of cards. The third action is animals, which lets the players play animal cards from their hands as long as they have the correct enclosures in their zoo. Some animals have specific needs, like their enclosure needs to be next to a water spot or a mountain spot. The fourth action is the association action. This action allows players to increase their zoo reputation, align with other zoos, which can make the cost of new zoo animals lower, gain partner universities, which gives players uh, benefits like an increased hand size, or support a conservation project, which I will explain in a little bit. The final action is the sponsors action, which allows players to play sponsor cards or take money. While these are the actions players are going to be doing round to round, there are actually quite a few of other things going on. First, there are two tracks players are moving on. One is the appeals track, which is usually the easiest to move on and usually advances when you play animals into your zoo. And the second is the conservation track, which usually advances when players take that associations action we talked about. The game end is triggered when a player's cubes pass each other on these two tracks. Think like Rajas of the Ganges would probably be the best example of this. There's also a break track that players will be manipulating together, and this track is kind of a reset track. When you advance the pawn to the break, the round basically ends. 
players will earn income and they need to discard down to hand size, which is actually a huge deal in this game. Players are going to be playing quite a few cards during the course of the game, which is very similar to Terraforming Mars. Certain cards will have prerequisites to be played or they can manipulate the game in some way. At this point, this is, for the most part, a pretty basic overview because there are quite a few other things going on, but it kind of gives you a gist on how the game is played. I think what makes this game so incredibly popular is how it integrates mechanics. So it pulls mechanisms from a bunch of popular games like Terraforming Mars, Rajas of the Ganges, and Civilization A New Dawn. Yeah, I think you'll have a good idea before you play it whether you're going to like it or not because, you know, there's nothing terribly new about this game, right? Like the the action selections from Civilization A New Dawn, you know, the card mechanics and the way you play the cards and they work off of each other is very familiar. The scoring is, is pretty familiar, you know, in other games. I think it's it's not anything breakthrough or transformative or anything like that. You know, I think it's pretty familiar and but certainly complicated. There's certainly a lot there to learn. You know, my overview is pretty basic. And part of it is because there's so many like intricate moving pieces. Mm-hmm. The The actions themselves, for the most part, are pretty, I mean, for the most part, pretty straightforward. Like take cards, you take cards. Mm-hmm. You build something, you build something, right? Yep. And based on where you are in that track, you get to build a specific enclosure. You know, enclosures come in different sizes, one through five. If you're on your four spot, you can build a four enclosure or lower. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of that simple, but it's the manipulating of everything that becomes complicated because, yes, you might build an enclosure to play this animal, but you need to make sure you go to that associations board in order to claim or partner with a, another zoo so it costs you a little bit less money. But maybe what you want to do is advance the breakpoint because you know all of a sudden one another player has six cards in hand and you want to have them discard down to three. Mm-hmm. The whole discarding down thing can be brutal in this game, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think the heart of the game really is getting those cards that play well together, right? That combine really well. And in order to do that, you need to draw a lot of cards so you can, because the deck is huge, right? It's like... A, I don't know, probably 100 cards, 150 cards, something like that. 212. Yeah, there's a lot of cards. And there are cards that combo really well together. And there are cards that you you know don't combo well together. And you really don't want to play those. You really want to focus on getting you know those, those combos together. So you need to go through your deck and collect them all. And then when it's time to break, you need to discard them. But you also want to break because that's how you get your income. And so you run out of money, you need to break. Well, you don't want to discard all your cards you've collected but you're not gonna be able to play them all anyways so you might as well suck it up and just get used to it because you're not gonna be able to play them all anyways that break and discarding down is again brutal there are times where you have five cards and you want to play all five Mm -hmm. and then somebody takes income and pushes that break and makes you discard down to three and it sucks Mm -hmm. it can be a tough decision as to what cards you keep and that's where it feels quite a bit different than terraforming Mars in the respect that terraforming Mars, your hand can be as big as you want it to be as long as you're paying for those project cards. Whereas in this game, that is not happening. Yeah. You are very restricted on the amount of cards you can have in your hand, especially after the break. Mm-hmm. And you've really got to, or terraforming Mars, you might get a card that you can't play right away, but you know, you're going to, and you're kind of leading up to that strategy of playing that card. Well, Doing that in this game is not necessarily wise because 
to hold on to a card is going to cost you other cards that you could be playing in the moment. So being able to get those cards that you that combo well and then playing them at the right time and not holding on to cards that aren't as useful for you is really, I think, the heart and strategy of this game. I do like the fact that you can upgrade your actions too. So there's there's five action cards and during the course of the game, you will be a, you have the opportunity to upgrade four of them. There's zero chance you'll ever be able to upgrade five if I understand correctly. You can only ever upgrade four. Mm-hmm. And certain things become easier slash harder depending on if you have upgraded cards. So we talk about this card play, right? So there's this gigantic stack of cards that you are essentially drawing from. But there's also cards in the middle which you're able to draw from depending on where you are on that track. Yeah. Yeah, and those cards are face up so you can, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're not getting the face down cards. But you have to increase those things and if you don't one of your action cards isn't upgraded, you can only get to a certain spot. So you can only ever take a look at the first 3. You know, there's six cards on the track. You're only ever going to have the option to take three of them Mm -hmm. unless you upgrade that action. You know, so there's this which actions do you upgrade? Which one do you want to upgrade first? There's a lot of a lot of decisions to be made Mm -hmm. in this game. There's a lot of planning, too. You know, you got to plan out what you want to do and you can't do everything you want. And so like the first couple of times we played it felt a little bit punishing, like I just can't get to what I want to do. I spent all my money or or I really want to do these associations again, but I only have the one uh, worker to put out. So that was kind of painful. I kept remembering that. It's definitely the, a game with a big learning curve. Like every time I've played it, I've enjoyed it a little bit more because I've understood it a little bit more. I don't know if I would say it's been overall the gameplay being punishing for me playing it. I can definitely see that. because, But the, I think part of that is just the sheer amount of stuff you can explore. So there's 212 cards that you're you're shifting through or trying to draw from and get through and you know dig into until you can find some cards that combo with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But you're never going to get through all those cards in a the game. There's zero chance you're going to get through those those cards. They're like barely even half. So you're not necessarily going to see everything there is into this game or what kind of strategies can develop. And that's the thing. You're... Which, okay... I kind of want to take a second and I want to talk about the cards and digging into the cards and the sheer amount of cards because I think that is actually a negative to this game. It's one of the things that for me I would say is a negative and that is you could get screwed over by not being able to get cards that combo well with the type of strategy you have. Mm -hmm. Now you have to pivot and you have to just do what your cards are letting you do. But you get an initial set of cards and you're like, all right, based on these cards, maybe I can do these couple things. And I remember one of the last games we played, I started taking that card action because I just I needed specific cards and I just wasn't getting them. Partly because we talked about this conservation track that you're going on. In order to do that, you have to fund these projects. In order to fund these projects, there's different things, you, achievements you need to hit or animals to release. And some of them might say, you need to have so many animals from North America in your zoo, okay? Well, if you're churning through the deck and you have zero North American animals, like, you can't do that. So it's kind of hard to bump up on that track when that's that certain one's automatically eliminated. Granted, the players have an opportunity to put some more con- uh, conservation projects out, but it can, man, just churn, trying to churn through that deck 
the one thing I will say is if people can be frustrated on the fact that you can't get the cards you need, this game will have that in it. Yeah, it's it's like uh, Terraforming Mars. Like you can get some, you can get really lucky with some good combos, and that can win you the game. And vice versa, you might not get as great at combos, and you just kind of got to work with what you got. And if that bothers you, you know, Wingspan's the same thing where it's got a really big deck of cards, and you might be looking for something specifically. You you can't. I think you can't put your all your focus on trying to get those certain cards. You have to try to make do with what you get because otherwise you will feel like you're getting screwed over. I think, but on the opposite end, you can also get really lucky and get exactly the cards you need that can help you win the game. I would agree. Yep. So we talked, we're referencing Terraforming Mars a ton. Let's talk about artwork because I know Terraforming Mars obviously is polarizing when it comes to artwork because they just, I mean, (laughs) mean, it's such a hodgepodge of like stuff. It's ugly. Yeah, it's bad. I don't know. It... Terraforming Mars is bad. I like Ark Nova. Yeah, what do you think of it? I like it. It's so it's pictures. It's real pictures um, of the animals, but they're lovely pictures, and they're animals. They're real life items, you know, objects. So it's nice to have real pictures of them. I think it looks really nice and and slick, and they all have the same style of pictures as well. So that so it all matches. I I like the artwork. I think the look of the game is is nice. It feels very cohesive, whereas Terraforming Mars did not. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's all the same. The artwork for me is fine. If I had my choice, I'd rather have more illustrative drawings like a wingspan mm-hmm. as opposed to real life pictures. But aside from that, I think, yeah, the artwork's, it's fine. I think it's good. The cards are really functionally appropriate. Like there's a lot of information on the cards because you've got your tags, you've got these requirements, you've got, you know, the benefits that you get for for doing it. So the card is really busy. It's got a lot on it. So it's really it needs to be functional. And I think the game is very functional. Overall, the artwork just leads to functionality, which I appreciate. It's not a beautiful game. It's not gorgeous. It's, the box is really pretty. I love the box. But that's kind of where the beauty ends. And really, the game is more functional. I like the box, too, actually. I like the box quite a bit. Better than that weasel or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> so what do you think of the theme? I love the theme. So each player each player has a board in front of them, and they're building your individual zoo. That's the heart of the game, right? So in order to build the zoo, you've got to build these enclosures to put your animals in, and then you put the animals in, and sometimes you release the animals for conservation points. But you, build in, you put animals in your zoo that gives you more tickets, which is points up the track or appeal or whatever it's called. Yeah, the I really track. like that. Yeah, I really like the um, the theme of it. I think it's cool that you're each building your own zoo and you, you can get points at the end if you fill in your, your whole zoo. Otherwise, there's some sponsor cards that'll get you points if you don't fill them in. So there's a few different ways you can kind of go with that. I really like the theme a lot. Does the theme really like come through quite a bit for you? Does it feel like you're making a zoo? Yeah, sure. Um, wow, that was, no, that was, yeah. That that sounded <laughs> legit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess whatever. It's a zoo game. We're I mean, making if you look zoo. at it, if you look at it, and you're like, oh, I need to put this polar bear next to the water. Yeah, that makes sense. The theme comes through in that sense, but I don't really think about that when I'm playing the game. I'm definitely more thinking of the mechanics than I am the theme. Yeah, I think the theme is a is a good theme. It's nice to have something different than the norm of what they could have done the rule book does go into detail saying hey we tried to be as thematic as we possibly could in places but then you know where they broke thematics it was it was for better gameplay 
Yeah. And I think that's fair. Yeah, and I like alternative themes to the fantasy and sci-fi that you always see. So something like this is cool. I mean, it could have been building like a city or something, but that would have been kind of lame. So, you you know, so I like it. Yeah, it could have been like a suburbia type thing where you're building, you know, a subdivision and you're putting in different kinds of people. I, I don't necessarily think the theme is incredibly strong in this game. I think it's fine. I think it works. I think... There's definitely some positive to it, and I think people will enjoy it because of that theme. But as far as it being strong, eh, it was fine. Now, let's transition. We talked about card play quite a bit. Let's talk about the next major mechanic taken from another game, which is scoring. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you have the appeals track and the conservation track. Mm -hmm. And you're basically placing one of your cubes on opposite ends, and you're basically moving them together exactly like Raja's Zaganji's. What do you think of that? I like it because you can either focus on building a bunch of animals and getting your appeals up, or you can focus on the conservation, getting animals that are going to go for that, and you can get victory points that way. So either way, and those like the conservation, you actually get like each conservation point is worth like like three appeals. So you move quite a bit, you know, quite a bit more, but they're harder to get. I like that just because there's just different pathways you know, you can focus on one or the other. The last game I played, I did heavy conservation and I ended up way on the other side of the board, like low appeal, heavy conservation. That was really fun. And I like how you can go different ways with it. If you've played Rajas of the Ganges, this is exactly the same thing where the appeals are so much easier to get because you're just playing cards from your hand and they're giving it to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas, the uh, you know, conservation requires more from you in order to achieve those points, but they're obviously worth way more. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say right now, if you do not like that scoring, you will not like the scoring in Arc Nova. Me personally, I understand why people like it so much. I'm I'm not necessarily a fan, partly because I think maybe it's more of that like race kind of thing. If I had a hesitation of this game, for me personally, it was the scoring. When I heard what the scoring was, I was like, ooh, you had me until that. Because it's a race to see who gets to that point. It's not like set number of rounds and who has the most victory points. Right. And I think that's what it is. And that's just not. I understand why people love that game so much. I can appreciate what it does. And same thing with this. Like, I understand why they did that and how it works. And I like it. I think the end game scoring because of it is a little like confusing and wonky because they cross then you finish out. And then you can get more. Yeah, there's quite a bit of end game scoring. There can be. Yeah, there can be a ton. But it is the lowest on the lowest number plus the highest number or whatever. So then you move your pawns kind of closer together. And then the difference is your score. I guarantee you there's going to be times where people play this game and like the person wins is going to have a score of like 20. And the person, the last person is going to have a score of like negative 30. Yeah. You know, it's going to be one of those. It could be a game that ranges that far Mm -hmm. just because it's just not if it's not clicking, you're not going to you're not going to be able to catch up. And there's definitely a learning curve. Like the first time we played, I think only one person scored any positive points. The rest of us were negative. And then the second time we all played, we were all in the positive. You know, that was really fun. And then the last time I played, I was like I had a pretty big positive range. That was a lot of fun. And if, but I played with people who played for the first time, and so they were still negative. So there's there's definitely a learning curve. Like this game gets better with time. 
you can't go into a game, first game of this, and expect to do extremely well. And even I was honestly like the first game we played. I liked it. I liked it, but I had a lot of frustrating moments. I had a lot of moments where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this action. You're like, Natasha, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, dang it. I forgot about that. I'm like, okay, I'll do this. Oh, yeah, I can't do that. And like, it just kind of like, it, was a, it felt hard for me. Like, it just wasn't clicking right away. Like, I kept forgetting about these rules and struggling to get the things done I wanted to. So it was hard the first time, but I still enjoyed it. Which brings me to brings we talked about like the overview being extremely simple. It's because there's so many like I hesitate to use the word fiddly because I feel like fiddly has a negative connotation. But there's a lot of little things you have to keep track of. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, Natasha, you can't do that. Well, why? Because, you know, this one obscure little rule or I want to do this. Well, you, you can't because you don't have, you know, this or you know what it like you can't. There's certain like prerequisites upon prerequisites. It's like taking a, an advanced college class. You need to make sure you've taken three subclasses before you're allowed into that big class. Yeah. And there was a lot of that in this game. The first, at least the, the first time we played, there was a lot of can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, it felt it felt tricky. It felt hard the first time I played it. And then the the last time I played it, it um, was just a lot easier to remember all that. And I had a lot of fun playing it the last time. You know, when we sat down and we played it the first time, we set it up and, and somebody came over to the table and started talking to us about how, like, yeah, the rule book is like, man, it's not that great. And I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. And then we started playing. And I was like, wow, this rule book gave me just the bare minimum of what I need to know. You know how many times we reference the rule book or the, you know, they have like a little appendix thing with it. And mm -hmm. how many times did we say, hold on, I don't know. Let me go look. Mm-hmm. Because it, there was just a bunch of these little corner cases that they just didn't discuss in the rule book. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of little things to keep track of throughout the, the course of the thing. Yeah, it's, it's hard cause, because this game has gotten so much hype. You know, it's hard going into it, playing it for the first few times. You know, because of all the hype, you know, you, you're just expecting it to like, wow. And... And this game is really good. There's a lot to it. It's a big, heavy game with a lot of decisions and a lot of thinking and a lot to manage. But it's nothing that's like new or fresh. Like it's not anything that's like mind blowing either. But also the more I played it, like every single time I played it, I've enjoyed it more and more. I knew I'd like it and I did like it. But but I am in, even then I'm enjoying it even more every time I play it. Let's wrap this up with. The first thing I talked about, which is action selection. You have those five cards and you're manipulating that. And that's the vast majority of what you're doing is manipulating these cards on this track. Mm -hmm. What do you what do you think of that? I enjoy it. It I I think I enjoyed it a little bit more. It was my favorite part of that civilization game. You know, and this one it's not the decisions aren't really there because if I want to play the sponsor card, I really have to just get this that card all the way up to the top. It's a level five. You know, I can play it sooner if it's earlier. So I feel like the stress and the decisions and the tension of when to play each thing isn't there. It's really, it kind of plays itself in that way. I, you tend to have to go through and do like your level four, level fives all the time, you know, because you need to get that other card built up. So, so it's not as interesting as I hoped it would be. It's fine. And I, I enjoy it, but it's not, there's just not a lot of tension with the decisions you're making. I feel like you're really incentivized just to get it to the top and then do that top action. 
I agree. I couldn't have said it any better myself. My thought going into the game was I was so excited for that mechanic because it sounds so cool and it is cool, Mm -hmm. but it's not as cool as I thought it was going to be. Because again, like you said, it kind of just plays itself. It's not like I'm doing a ton of manipulating. Oh, if I do this, then the next turn I can do this and then I'll lead into this. No, it's like, oh, buildings at five. I might as well do that, you know, because yep. I need I'm going to need buildings and, you know, animals is next. And I, you know, I need buildings to do animals. So I'll just do that one real mm-hmm. quick. The decisions weren't as like meaningful as I thought they would be. Yeah, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't have a complaint about it, but it's not. It doesn't fill me with tension like, ooh, I really want to do this action, but if I wait another turn, I can do it better. Like the decision's just made for you. It's really obvious what you need to do or what you can do or what you can't do. So that one just has to sit there and wait till you the you know, the break and you get income and your workers back. What I found is that that card that gives you income and advances the break, you know, as the sponsor card. Mm-hmm. I don't there I don't know how many times I ended up in my five spot and I was just like I kept not playing it because I'm I'm not I don't want income I don't need income I don't want it to break and then finally uh, all right well I need to get it out of this spot yeah I need to get the my other card up there yeah yeah I it, felt w- like it was an off turn essentially mm-hmm. I think the heart and soul of the game really is the card play and how the cards play off of each other and that's really I think the the fun of the game yeah it's manipulating those cards but mm-hmm. so what are you gonna rate this game oh boy I think. I'm going to rate it a nine. I really liked it. I am giving this game an eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. I really like that card play. There's a couple things that kind of uh, frustrate me a little bit, maybe for lack of a better term. I'm not a fan of the scoring, but it's fine. You know, I understand. I understand the concept behind it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I would prefer just points. You know, like in Terraforming Mars, but that's cool, whatever. You know, I feel like the deck can ultimately screw you if you don't dig or adjust or pivot your strategy. Sometimes, like I was digging for a while and finally I was just like, I'm I'm done doing this. I'm just going to figure out what I what I can do with what I have. Mm-hmm. That card that I've played that I can score points off, I'm just going to give up on. So aside from all that, I think, you know, I think it's a very solid game. I would recommend giving this game a try if you like the zoo theme. And then if honestly, if you like the games we mentioned, if you like Terraforming Mars, if you like Civilization of New Dawn, if you like Rajas of the Ganges, you're probably going to like this game. Mm-hmm. If you don't like those games, you won't like this game. Yeah. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. So the only downside is it is a really long game, too. That's another downside. Yeah, we played it. Uh, the times I've played it, I've played it only at three and it was still three hours, maybe. It was long. It was definitely long, but so uh, that, you know, that's what we think of Arc Nova, you know, the new hotness. Yeah. Worth giving a try for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's Arc Nova. All right. Next up, I want to talk about Unlock Kids Detective Stories. This is a puzzle style game where you're trying to solve these puzzles. You play it one time and then it's, you know, you solved it. So it's done. It's designed by Cyril Demage, Maria Fort and Willifred Fort. Art is by Maud Kamel and Oliver Dachin. It's published by Space Cow, which is a, a Space Cowboys brand that's their kids' line. So in this game, players are trying to solve a mystery. They do this by revealing cards from a deck or finding clues that let you reveal new cards or unlock new items. Throughout the game, you are also trying to find hidden objects that give you stars, and your score in the game is based on how many stars you find. Um, the game is comes with three different mysteries to solve, um, three different decks of cards. So you play them each individually. 
And then within each deck is two separate games to play that kind of share those same cards or set in the same universe, but they have a totally different, you know, theme there or a totally different objective, I should say. So one of them is that it's on a farm and you're trying to, the one animal is uh, throwing a birthday party. And so your job is to pass out all the invitations to their friends. And then the other one within that same card deck is uh, the hen goes missing. So you have to find the missing hen. It's super, super cute. The artwork is gorgeous. But what makes this game so great is the simple yet really engaging puzzles you have to solve. It's so fun to figure it out. And then you get to pull up a new card and lay out the card and check out the scenery and see what's going on. Maybe reveal some new cards. Um, The items you get uh, are kind of like little keys that you put together with uh, items on the card and use this decoder that you get. Um, The whole game, all three of them use the same system of putting two pictures together to to create a new picture and then using the decoder, you know, based on the picture to find a a number and then you use that number to pull up a new card. And what it's really good, like there's no there's no point in it where you look at it and go, what do I do? Like it's pretty easy, intuitive to figure out what to do next. You know, you might get a couple options like, okay, I can go down one of these three pathways or I can use any one of these keys that I have. And if you choose the wrong one, you just get a card that says, nope, you know, wrong way. Oh, but if you're smart and you if you pause and you think about it, there's clues all around it that kind of tell you which one to get so you don't go down that wrong path. But, you know, you're never really stuck. So it's really, really, really good for kids. It's like, I think it's like six and up. My son is 11 and he loved it. He We had so much fun playing it. I kind of ran it for him and then he was the one that was kind of solving it. Um, really, really good. I wouldn't say it's worth buying if you're doing it for yourself. It's definitely a kid's game. It's pretty simple. Is it pretty similar to the mechanics, at least similar to the normal unlock games? Similar in that you have a deck of cards, right? Um, You don't use the app at all. The puzzles are a lot more straightforward so in some of the unlock and other exit games sometimes you look at it and you're like what am I supposed to do I have no idea or this kids one it's really obvious you got to maybe pour the milk into the bowl and that forms you know when you put those two pieces together it forms a symbol and you know it's really less I don't know it's just it's just more easier to figure out and that's probably you know why it's a kids game more easier more easier yeah that's (laughs) the thing that's it's got a um a book that you know gives you hints and answers but we never had to use it and that's not because i'm good at figuring things out like i'm not at all i can't figure out half the unlock stuff when i play a regular game i'm always looking at the rule book you know helping me figure it out do you like the unlock versions or the exit versions better well we've done a lot of the exit ones and I haven't done any of the unlocked ones. Actually, the kids one was my first one. And then my son and I, he loved it so much. He made me go out and buy all the rest of the, you know, the other unlock ones. And so we did timeless adventures. We just did that one this weekend as well. And I like those too. They're just different. They're just different than the, um, the exit ones. I've played one of each. I've played an exit game and I've played an unlock game Mm -hmm. and they're just not my, I understand why people love exit games and these games are extremely popular. Again, it's one of those things that's just, you know, whatever. They're fine for me. But exit, I mean, you're tearing everything apart, cutting stuff out. Once it's done, it's done. Whereas unlock, you have a deck of cards. Once you get through the deck of cards, you can gift it to somebody else and say, here you go. Here's 
Yeah, I like that a lot better that you're not destroying any cards. You know, you're using the cards to look at it and then it incorporates the app where you might go to this location and then you have to put it in the app and then then from there you can do something that the app lets you do, which is really kind of cool. I like that a lot about the unlock ones. The exit one, you're not using the app, you're using all the components and you do physically use the components, cut it up, you know, drawing. I think drawing on them is really where you can't reuse them. If you cut them up, it always has those cut lines on it. It's really obvious that you're supposed to cut it. So it's not really a spoiler. I think you could redo the unlock the exit games that have been played, but but yeah, it's it's almost better just to buy a new one. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to play a lot more of the unlock games because we like them so much. Although my only complaint is that we get stuck a lot. You know, obviously, if I'm playing with my son, he's not figuring them out near as much as you know, another adult would, but I tend to just open up the puzzle, like the answers on my phone. And then if we get stuck, I immediately pull it up. I'm like, okay, what do we got to do? Do we have the right cards? Oh, we're not getting this card. Like I don't sit there and stare at it forever and try to figure it out because oftentimes, like if I don't see it right away, I'm not going to see it. You know, sometimes you're, you're trying to do things and you just have no idea what you're even supposed to do and where to even start. And so I keep the rule book really close by I don't care about the time. I just try to have fun with, you know, figuring things out and and using the hints and stuff. Have you ever done an actual, like, in-person, real-life exit game, uh, escape room? Yeah, my husband and I did it one time. It was fun. We did it. It was just the two of us, and we did it with other people that we didn't know. Um, And that was fine. I don't think it would have been better if it was people we know. You don't think so? I don't think that. Because you only have an hour, and you have all kinds of puzzles to solve. So you you can actually only do a few. So each you kind of break off into groups and do a few puzzles. So by the end of it, you've only done a few. Where these unlock games and these exit games, my favorite way to play them is by myself or with one other person. And that's it. And to take my time, I don't worry about the time ever. The unlock, you use the app, it'll automatically uh, record your time, which I wish I could just turn it off. <laughs> I don't time myself on the exit games. But I and like here to you be thought able- you weren't a solo gamer. I know. I I like being able to do them all. Like when you do a real exit game, it's one they're pricey. It's like thirty bucks a person, so that's sixty dollars. Yeah. You buy an exit game, they're fifteen dollars. You know, and you get to do the whole thing. You know, you and your partner that you're working on it with get to go through them all and do them all. And yeah, I just I like figuring them out. I like the simpler ones. I don't like them when they're so obtuse. I don't even know what I'm trying to do. That's frustrating to me. Yeah, I don't worry so much about it. I don't care if I'm cheating. <laughs> I just try to do it for fun. You know what? I've accused you of cheating so many times on this podcast that I figured I was just going to let that one slide. <laughs> but you brought it. You just you're beating me to the punch, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. I'm playing by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cheating. Yeah, I'm not fair. wasting my time trying to stare at like some of them are stu- stu- super dumb. Like, oh, this this object you found looks like the letter A. So grab the A card. Oh. Okay, that was obvious. I didn't know that. Like, that dumb stuff like that. Like, I'm like, I don't even feel bad about looking that up. That's hilarious. Mm -hmm. I make sure I get, like, all the clues together, and then I look at the thing real quick and see what I'm supposed to do, and then I like to figure it out on my own. You know, I liked the kids unlock a lot because um, the way you get your those uh, extra, the way you scores is you find these stars, and you find stars throughout the game by looking at the pictures and finding hidden numbers in it. You know, and that's really fun. 
So you want to like pause and look at every card, make sure there's no hidden number. But it's not anything that's like you got to figure it out and it's random and who knows to even think that way. You know, that's that's the tricky part. How do you design these games in a way that's unique, but not so obtuse that nobody's figuring it out, you know? Yeah, I give a lot of credit to the designers of games like this, like the how their brain works in order to create these types of puzzles is my brain doesn't just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I like a lot. I, you know, I talked, we talked last week with Mark. I like the Grand Gamers Guilds. They have holiday hijinks. Those ones are really nice. They're similar to the unlock ones where they're just cards. I like them. I have a lot of fun with them. And I like, I really like buying games, playing them once and getting rid of them. You know, they're not staying around in my collection. They're just, they're consumable. I would rather, for the price point, I would rather buy any one of these games over going to a real uh, escape room game. But definitely worth, if you have kids, I highly, highly recommend the Unlock Kids. It's really good. I would give it a 10 out of 10. It's that good. That's Unlock Kids Detective Stories. The last game we're going to talk about this week is the game Honey Buzz. It is a worker placement tile laying game designed by Paul Solomon, art by Ann Heidsiek, published by Elf Creek Games. In this game, players take on the role of honeybees, expanding their personal hives, making honey, and selling that honey to all the woodland creatures. They do this by placing their beeples, acquiring new hive <laughs> tiles, and activating those tiles. It, that's what, what it says. What, what, are the, what, what are you placing? Beeples. <laughs> bee meeples? Bee meeples, beeples. <laughs> hey, it's in the rule book. I don't know what to tell you. It's legit. They're super cute. They're like wooden little bees. Yeah, they're, yeah and they have little stingers. Uh, so Honey Buzz is played over an undetermined number of rounds until one of two different endgame triggers are met. On a player's turn, they can take one of two actions. The first action is to take their worker bees and place them on one of the honeycomb tile spots, claiming that tile and placing it into their hive. There are certain rules about tile placement, but ultimately you're trying to create hexagonal cells. Because when you close off a cell, you can take any corresponding actions that are adjacent to that completed cell. So the different actions could be foraging, which moves a token around the main board collecting nectar, which is how you make honey. You can produce, which lets you make honey in completed cells that have nectar tiles. You can gain a new bead to the main board. You can gain five coins. Or lastly, you can take a market action, which lets you sell honey or pollen or complete order cards. One of the unique things in this game is that players can still go to spots with either their bees or an opponent's, they just have to create a beeline, which is a stack of beeples one higher than the next highest stack. The last thing you can do on your turn is you can recall all your bee workers from the main board, including any new bees that you've made. Any what? New bees that you've made. Beeples. Oh, those aren't beeples? Those are beeples. Those are just bees? Okay. Yeah. You can, you can claim all your beeples back. <laughs> I, th- I think what makes this game great is the theme and the artwork. The theme yeah. is fantastic. Uh-huh. The artwork is amazing. It's gorgeous. It is so good. Elf Creek Games does something so good with their artwork. <sighs> this game, it just it's so fun and cool. And even the regular retail version, the honey that you get has this like squishy kind of feel to it. So the bits mm-hmm. are cool. Yeah, there's a there's the a lot of beeples are like cut out like a bee with little lines in them and everything. They're it's really they're really, really nice. You the get a money little hive. tokens are unique. Each denomination is you know, as a different picture, like one's an acorn, 
one a leaf or something. It's there's cute. a bear. Yeah, there's a. I think twenty is a a bear paw. Yeah, yeah, bear paw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the I mean the artwork in this game is it's great, and I really I really enjoy the theme. It gives you again one of those themes that's outside the box of what you normally see. Mm-hmm. I think it makes the game approachable to a lot of new players, but <laughs> I think <laughs> I think this game can be punishing to a lot of people. So as much as the theme and the artwork is cutesy and fun and like well done, I do not think this game is a welcoming game. It looks like a welcoming game outside looking in. It is not a welcoming game. At least I don't feel like it is. I feel like it's simple enough that it is, but also like, yeah, you end up scoring like really low amounts, but I don't know that it's because they necessarily played poorly. I don't know. I don't know. So infamously, we've talked about in this podcast about how Natasha and I have played this game. Mm-hmm. And the fir- very first time we played it, we played it two player. It was just me and her. And I beat you by a lot. Like 90 points. I think my score was like 60 and you had like 150, something like that. It was, the gap was way larger than I had ever anticipated it would be. And it's not like I played the game significantly better than you yeah there's so there's three objectives that you deal out in the when you first start the game and sometimes they can be speed objectives and sometimes they're end game the speed objectives is the first person to do this thing gets this amount of points and they're all usually 20 i think 20 10 and 5 maybe so in a two-player game only the first player scores so i acquired all three i achieved all three so there was 60 points that i got that you did not mm-hmm. and again a lot of like some of the more some of the ones that are, be the first one to do this i think i just got lucky and i just happened to get it before you you know yeah and the, my biggest i think my biggest complaint is going out and getting those uh tiles those nectar tiles that give you the honey and then sometimes but there there's not unlimited amount so you can end up not getting one of them and then not being able to get any of those objective cards because you have no way of making that type of honey. You know, or or that they requires two of this specific honey. Well, if you don't have two of those tiles, you will never be able to make two honeys because you don't store them. You just only produce what you produce. And so the second time we played, I was the only one that had this specific honey two times. And all three of those objective cards required two of that type of honey. And so I was the only one that could get it. And I think that's what really won me the game. You know, so it, I still think it's a good welcoming game because I think it's really luck dependent. I don't think it's a lot of skill in there. I think it's just kind of the way it works out. I don't know. I think there's, I think there's a lot of strategy to how you build your honeycomb, essentially. So what, so again, you take your, you take your beeple. And you place it on one of the spots, you acquire that tile. And the acquire the tile usually has two different hexagons on it. One's mm-hmm. gonna have an action, the other one's blank. And then you place it within your honeycomb, and when you fill a cell, every surrounding cell that has an icon on it, you do those types of actions. So you can trigger a bunch of actions by closing off a cell. Sometimes you have off turns where you're just trying to complete you're just trying to set yourself up to create cells that will do specific nectar. Because the thing is you can't just like close off a cell and say, all right, I'm going to put this type of nectar in there. No, you have to be very specific on how that cell is arranged. 
Mm-hmm. So the cell has a specific pattern on it, and you have to create that pattern. And it requires different placement in order to create that pattern. Based on that pattern, that's the type of nectar that you can put in there. So I think there's a lot of nice, puzzly decisions to be made in this game because of that. I disagree. I think that it doesn't really matter. Like, to me, when I go out and pick my tile, I'm like, well, whatever. I guess I want to do this one because that will allow me to get that type. I think the decision is really, like, how you place it, you know, what shape you're making based on what nectar you can get next. There, there's that little bit of puzzliness, but I don't find the tension there. Like, I think the decisions that I make, like, nah, it doesn't really seem to matter, you know, because you can't, you're not gonna be able to close them all off anyways. And you're eventually going to get to the point where there's not very much nectar around. So you're not going to be able to get to that. So I just don't feel like the, the decisions are very strategic and matter that much. And that's my biggest complaint with the game. Yeah, I disagree. I think they're, I think the decisions are decent. I don't think they're, I don't think I necessarily pick tiles all willy nilly. There's specific tiles that I'm trying to go for. And there's certain like forward thinking I'm doing to try to create the different patterns I need in order to acquire those nectars. So I, for me, I, I, I think it, I think there's quite a few puzzly decisions to be made with how you achieve, acquire those tiles when you recall workers. Cause one of the things you do is you recall all your beeples back to your board. And when you do, that clears up a lot of action spots. So now a spot that could have required two or three Bs now only requires one because you reclaimed all your all your workers back. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's some decent decisions to be made. I do think there is definite luck in the game. Like the last game you played, we played, yes, you got kind of lucky with having those two types of honey mm-hmm. that you were able to complete those orders. But I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's that big although i keep thinking about that first game and how we were so excited to get this game to and play this game and review it for the podcast and we played that first game and it left such a sour taste in your mouth that Mm -hmm. you know we had talked about there was two copies at our local game store i snagged one and then i had them hold a copy for you and you're like i don't even know if i want it Mm -hmm. just because of how it went down yeah the fact that something like that can happen in a game yeah, I, yeah, I feel like I'm being a sore loser about it, but you were. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Rightfully so, though. And the thing is, for me, it's not like I, you know, reveled in the fact that I beat you by so many points. In my head, I was like, I, did I really play that much better? No, I just happened to achieve those objectives faster. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you know you can change the objectives so they're not always the same. So I think there's different decisions to be made with that. I don't. I think there's enough decisions and like the way the game's played. I think. I think it for me. I think it's a solid game. What? So what would you rate it? Um, I would rate it a seven. I still enjoy it. I'm gonna keep it. I did buy it. I'm gonna hold on to it to see if I can play it with some of my friends and see if they enjoy it and give it a couple more goes before I decide if I'm getting rid of it yet. But you know, when we played it and we played it with your wife Ashley and she was like, "Oh, do you want to play it again?" And I was like, "No, I'm good. I'm good." You know, that's when I was like, well, you know, I, I enjoy it. It's fine, you know, and it's so beautiful. Like, that's what really makes me want to keep it is just how gorgeous it is and how much I love the theme, you know, and, and I like it. Like, it's just kind of fun. Like, you grab your tiles, you place it out there. You know, I enjoy it. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep playing it and see if it grows on me. Fair enough. I am giving this game an eight out of ten. I like it. I really like the tile laying. I think I think there's good decisions to be made in the game. I don't think it's necessarily all willy-nilly, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this game. 
I would recommend giving this game a try if you like worker placement or tile laying games. I think it definitely satisfies those itches. You know, mm-hmm. I th- I think it does well with those. I mean, even if you like even if you like bees, you know, hashtag save the bees. But mm-hmm. the nature theme and and a nice light family weight style game. Yeah, definitely great artwork. I w- I think you should give this game a try, especially if you like. I said you like worker placement tile laying. That is Honey Buzz. Well, that's going to wrap up the games we've been playing this week. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to give you our top 10 games that we should have played by now, but haven't played, but should play. And we're embarrassed (laughs) that we didn't play them yet. And we should really play them list. (laughs) So that's after the break. We are back and we are going to be doing our top 10 highest rated games we really need to play slash we're embarrassed that we haven't played them yet there's a lot of top rated games like there's a lot of games in the top 100 that i haven't played that i've not included in this list because i have no desire to play them i think now that i've been playing board games for you know over 10 years i have a really good idea of what i like and what i don't like and i don't feel the need to try to play everything so there's a lot of games in here or you know that are highly rated that i i'm not ever gonna play and i know that and that i'm fine with that yeah, what I basically did for my list is I went through the Board Game Geeks probably top 300 games and mm-hmm. start going through and be like, oh, man, how have I not played this game? Oh, man, how have I not played this game? And put them all on a list. I would say at the end of the day, these are all games that, yes, I want to play. So then how did you order your list? Uh, So probably, yeah. So my number one is definitely like I need to get this game played. So it's definitely an order of my wanting to get to the table and play it, I would say. Okay, so mine's a little different. I also went through the Board Game Geek top list. I started at the very top, and I got 10 games. I selected, you know, from top to bottom, 10 games that I really wanted to play that were on, you know, the highest rated games. And then they're in order of the top 100 games. So the highest rated game is my number one. Oh, fair enough. That Yeah, that works. I actually, I, I got like probably 15 so i have some honorable mentions but um so yeah you want let's just get it started then what is your number 10 so my number 10 is rated 199 on the board game geek list so it's definitely the the you know lowest rated game and that's chronicles of crime i really like solving puzzles and logic and i think i'd really like this one this one uses an app which i love using an app in games um i love deduction and solving you know, solving things, figuring things out. I think I'd really like this game. I hear it talked about a lot and I really want to play it. That's Chronicles of Crime. That was actually on my, uh, one of my honorable mentions. I really want to get this game played. I'm not like super big into the deduction, but just the overall concept and the way it's all put together. Yeah, I'm really, I would be down to play that game with you for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much deduction it has versus just, you know, solving things. I don't know. I, I actually don't know too much about it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I would say that I'm surprised you would want is it's co-op. So that'd be the only thing I would think would hold it back. But I like co-op where there's hidden information, you know, where it's not just go out and see what happens. Fair enough. All right. So I can't give you what ranking these are because I didn't do that because I'm not I am not nearly as prepared as Natasha is. (laughs) So my number 10 is Mansions of Madness, second edition. I really love Arkham Horror LCG. I really like the Cthulhu mythos. It's just one of those things that's always kind of intrigued me. Mm -hmm. I've heard so many good things about this game. I have a copy 
I've just never played it. <gasps> you even own this game? I know, you still right? Played it? Oh, come on. You've seen my games. I have, I, have I, some... I will never play this with you. This is one of those games that I will never play. I have played Arkham Horror and maybe Eldritch Horror. I'm not sure. I don't like him at all. See, I hear those games aren't nearly as good as this. I don't know. There's this game. So many people love it. It has the app. You know, it obviously does a lot of work. It sets everything up. You're going around trying to like solve these mysteries. There's a variety of different things. Sometimes they're combat oriented. Sometimes they're puzzle oriented. Yeah, I, I'm. I own this game and I haven't played it. And I feel bad for saying that, but I definitely need to get this one to the table. My number ten, Mansions of Madness, second edition. All right, my number nine is Targi. This is a two-player worker placement game. That gets a lot of love. And how have you not played this game? <laughs> I, I don't play a lot of two player games at game night and I've not owned it. Although I just got it in the math trade for Origins. So when we go to Origins, I'm gonna be able to pick it up and get it. And so I'll be able to play it. I think I'll be able to play it with my kids. Hashtag this episode releases after Origins. We recorded before. A glimpse behind the curtain. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have it in my hands yet, but by the time this airs, I will have it in my hands, but I probably still won't have played it by then, although maybe we can play a quick game of it at Origins. Yeah, I own it. I like this game. Yeah, it's a solid two-player worker placement game. Just the way it works, it's really good. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. That's Targi, my number nine. My number nine is Terra Mystica. What? (laughs) You've never played Terra Mystica? No. No, I haven't. Oh, I've no. never played it. Just, like you it can just cross, you can just cross this one right off your list. Although I will say, I played this. Why? Early Why would I cross it off game. my list? This is not good. Um, no, Whoa. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. It's one of the earlier games that I played that was super heavy. So I played it early on when I st- first started playing games, and it was very hard, you know. Yeah. And people were super into it, so I played a lot of people that were really good at it. So I guess I would play it again. I would give it another shot. See if I like it more now that I like heavier games, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's beefy. It, I like just looking at it. It seems like a game that's right up my alley and I should definitely play it. But I don't know if I just got into the by the time I got into the hobby and started playing games like I haven't been in the hobby 10 years or maybe. No, I don't think it's been 10 years. But to try to get it played just doesn't. I don't know. I just I haven't had an opportunity. I don't think you'll get a lot of interest from other people. I think people are kind of over it now. Well, and that's the point. I've never gotten a chance to play it. I need. I want to get it played, and I know at some point I can probably convince people to play it. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe when you guys hear this, I've played it at Origins. Maybe you'll see a picture on our Instagram. I don't know. Yeah, but... maybe you can find some people to play it there. <laughs> just be, not you. Not me. <laughs> no. It's just like, come on, Natasha. Take a lot of time. I have to relearn it, and no, no, I'm good. I played it. <laughs> Done. (laughs) Whatever. All right. My number nine, Terra Mystica. All right. My number eight is Lorenzo Il Magnifico. What? I have not played this. Oh, my God. Okay. Sure. And and everyone compares it to um, the Hotel, Austria Hotel. Grand Austria Hotel. Grand Austria Hotel game. And I love that game. It's so good. And I think this is one that I would really like. I don't really know anything more about it. I I, I don't even can't even say that anything else about it. But I think you'd I think you'd like it. I don't know because it's by that Italian design group that did Voyages Marco Polo. They did this. They did Grand Austria Hotel, Coimbra, yeah. all of them. It's rated number ninety seven, so it's up there. I think it's great. Yeah, I really like it. I'm surprised you haven't played it. Yeah, I think I I think I like it a lot. 
Yeah, I think you would too. All right, that is my number eight, Lorenzo Il Magnifico. All right, my number eight is the godfather of area control games, and that is El Grande. I love me some area control games. This is the one that does it. Technically, I've played it on, it's either on Yukata Board Game Arena. I can't remember which one it's on. It might be on both. I don't know. But I was invited to a game because we have a group of us that play games on those. And I was invited to a game and I just clicked because I didn't know the rules. You know, because sometimes I'll just, whoever's out there, ever anyone's out there who's played a game has done the like, oh, I don't know this game. I'm just going to start clicking through stuff. Mm-hmm. So technically, I haven't played it. I really want to sit down and play it. I've heard really good things about it. But again, it's one of those things that's just so old that people it just doesn't come out. So Yeah, I considered putting this on my list because, because I feel like it's such a quintessential game that we should all play. But I really just don't want to play it. It's area control. It's not my favorite mechanism, you know, not my favorite type of game. So I would be willing to play this one because I feel like I just need to because so I can at least reference it and know what it, what it is. You know, it's definitely one I want to play at least once, but I'm not like, you know, itching to play it. Like it's not, you know, something I really want to. If somebody came up to me with it and said, hey, let's play El Grande, I'd be down for sure. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to give it a go because like you said, it's one of those games that like everyone references. It's like this, you know, staple in the industry or this, you know, game that everyone should play. But yeah, so my number eight, El Grande. All right. My number seven is rated 94 on BGG. It's Raiders of the North Sea. I love the series, the Architects, the West Kingdom series. I love all of those games. I'm sure I will love this one. Our friends own it. Like, there's literally no reason why I haven't played it yet. We just haven't, and I really want to. I'm surprised you haven't played it, honestly. But it, uh, yeah, it's good. I really like the, out of the, there's that North Sea series, and this is like light years ahead of all the other ones it's mm-hmm. really it's yeah it's good it has a cool place a worker pick a worker and then as you're adventuring out you get better workers it's it's really fun and it's actually quite easy it's almost a without any of the expansions i would almost say it's a welcoming game oh good i'm I'm sure i'll like it then i love all of the west kingdom games that's my number seven raiders of the north sea so my number seven is a gigantic sprawling game, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Ooh. I have, yeah, I've never played any of the Twilight Imperiums. I've never played 3rd Edition. I've never played 4th Edition. I have tried to get those games played. The problem is it takes like a day to mm-hmm. do it. Like I have contemplated signing up at conventions to play it. I just can't. It's so hard for me to look and commit eight hours to a game. And then you have that to I've learn never it. Pl- and yeah. then you want to play it more than once, too, to put all that effort into learning it. Right. Yeah. It's one of those games that I, f- I would definitely love to be able to sit down and play and just enjoy it, especially with maybe a bunch of new players since we're all just kind of learning it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I sat down at a convention and played it with a bunch of people who are seasoned, I'm just going to get my butt handed to me and it's not mm-hmm. going to be a pleasurable experience. So, but I definitely, it's definitely one of those games that I would love to play at some point. So my number seven, Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. Yeah, I, I don't, I have not played it either. I don't think I ever will. I mean, I just don't know that I have that much time in my life to play the game. Although, have you heard of the roll and write version? 
I saw that it came out. I saw that there oh, was I want to play that so bad. So I think that'll be my little it you know, my little inkling into Twilight Imperium. I'll play the role and write. That'll only be a few hours long. I can't wait. I'm totally gonna play that. As do you already have you should have it on pre order. I should, but no, I don't. <laughs> you know what? And since I've turned a new leaf, I'm actually kind of excited to try it out. Let's whatever. Let's do it. A big heavy I heard that there's like every player gets like four sheets. So it's gonna be a big one. It's not gonna be like a regular roll and write. Man, I, is I'm it like Hadrian? It's like Hadrian's Wall, like on steroids. Yeah, and I love Hadrian's Wall. I love really meat, meaty, uh, heavy roll and write. So, do you think I'm so? Down. Side tangent. Do you think Hadrian's Wall can be some like in the category of a roll and write because of how deep and complex it is? Technically, you're not even rolling anything. You're flipping cards. But yeah. besides the point, like, is it a roll and write or is roll and writes only? you know, 30 minute games. No, not at all. Roll and rights are, I consider roll and rights anything where everyone gets the same information kind of revealed or whatever, you know, whether it's dice or cards. And then we all have a literal pencil or marker and are marking things off on the board. That Fair is enough, a, roll yeah. the, the, a lot of them are short and quick, which is great, but I, this is going to be a new trend. Having roll and rights and I am down a hundred percent super excited. Yeah, we're going to have to have Jeremy teach it to Yeah, I don't <laughs> so know. I'm not going to gonna buy it because I don't want to learn it. <laughs> uh, what's your number six? All right, my number six. Uh, ooh. Um, Tio. Tio Tihuacan? Yes, City of Gods. It's rated 76 on Board Game Geek. And it is Worker Dice, which I love Worker Dice. Uh, resource management, Yuri style game. I really should play this game. I think I'd really like it. I own it. We should definitely. We'll play it. We'll play oh, it and review mm-hmm. it for the. We'll definitely play it and review it for the podcast because that game is good. It's what I love most about that game is you have these dice out, but you don't actually roll them. What you do is you you click them up from one to two to three to four to five, and then when it hits six, they quote unquote ascend. So then uh-huh. they go back down to one and they go to their starting spot and then you can get like a little bonus. Yeah, it's a it's a really solid game. Like I said, I own it. We'll definitely we'll play it and we'll review it at some point for sure. Okay, sweet. Excited about that. My number seven my number six is Teotihuacan. City of Gods. <laughs> it's so hard. All right. Uh so my number six also is Probably was on Board Game Geek's number one forever. Puerto Rico. I've I've never what? played it. It's Don't. one of this is the, no. You just need to like that. This needs to be a game that of the past. It needs to not come back. It's racist. It's offensive. It doesn't need to belong in the board game. Fair <laughs> enough. And anymore. that's a, and I think the other thing too is there. I've heard everyone talk about how there's clear strategy mm-hmm. to the turns, and if you mess it up. Like you're gonna throw off everyone else's games and they're gonna be upset with you. The only way you'd be able to play it is with all new people who are also learning or have only, you know have only played it a couple times and it'd be fine. I I think the game itself is fine. You know I, I, I but a lot of games use do those mechanisms better now. You know where your action selection and everybody you get a special ability for doing selecting that one action, but everybody else gets to do it as well. You know you're building things out. It's it's a good game and it was a really good game of its time if it wasn't so racist sure i don't know everyone references it it's definitely on you know still up there i mean still what top 100 mm-hmm. so yeah yeah but it's it's just it just needs to go away and die fair enough all right well my number six <laughs> puerto rico all right my number five is rated 72 it's fields of arl 
And this is a Lee Rosenberg game, and I love all of his games. I think I'd really like it. It's a two-player only, which is probably why I've never played it. Have you played this one, Bob? No, because it's two-player, and which, you know, you would think, because I have a uh, built-in second-player, you know, in my, my domicile, mm-hmm. that I would be able to get something like this played, but I've wanted to. It does go up to three, if you get its expansion, which is T and trade or something along those lines. So it does eventually like you can get up to three players on it, but yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a game. One of those games that I didn't include it on my list, but it's definitely one of those games that I would love to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Heavier, big two player game. I just, they're harder to get to the table and play. I don't have anybody at home that I could play it with. So I'd have to bring it to game night. We don't typically do a lot of two-player games. So it'll be a hard one to get. But I know I'll like it because I I just love all his games. That is Fields of Arl, my number five. My number five is a Steffenfeld game called Trajan. I've heard so yeah. many good things about this game. And I just, for whatever reason, it's just never, I've never had an opportunity to play it. Anytime it's get played at game night, some it's when I've gotten there late or something so it's, I, I really like Stefan Feld and what he does with his designs. Theme-wise, I mean, I don't think he's ever created a game that truly has theme, but I definitely appreciate what he puts into his designs, and I like a lot of his stuff. And Trajan is one of those games that's, you know, highly acclaimed, and I just, I honestly, I've never played. Just looking at it, I guarantee it's a game I'm going to love, but I just, yeah, I've never had a chance to play it. So Yeah, I agree. I haven't played this one either, and I think I would like to play it for all the reasons you said. What we need to do is make these lists and just play them, and then we can review them on the podcast. Anyway, my number five, Trajan. All right, my number four is On Mars. It's rated 51 on BGG, and I love Lacerda games a lot. Um, I've enjoyed them more over the years as I've, as I've started enjoying more heavier games, and I love space-themed games. I love Mars. I love everything about it. I think I'd really like this game. And I really want to play it. Yeah, that's a, that would definitely make, like, if I did a top 20, that would be on there for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it looks super cool. I don't know if I just, the in, the time investment into that game, I just don't know if, I don't know, just something about it. I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, if I get a chance to play it, I'll play it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, like, going to seek it out. My prerequisite to playing this would be somebody would have to teach it to me. Like, I'm not going to seek Isn't it out. Isn't that I'm your prerequisite play. for every game is that somebody Only has to teach Only the heavy do. ones. <laughs> Anything that's light, I'll go ahead and pick up on my own and learn how to play. But if it's heavy, I'm going to have to get somebody to listen, teach it to Listen, listen here. If there's not a watch it played or somebody teaching it to me, I'm just you're just not going to do it, right? But I won't even do watch it played for heavy games. It's just too much to have to learn it and then teach it to other people and then find people to play it with. Like I need to have somebody who already has this game and like loves it and wants to play it and willing to put the effort into teaching me. So I don't know that, you know, it'll get played, unfortunately. But yeah. I'm here if anybody wants to teach it to me. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah, just teach it to her. All right, fair yeah. enough. It's just so much work. Learning a game? Oh, man. Yeah, learning Dang. a heavy game. Yeah, reading rule books are hard. That's the worst. If I can't skim it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, not going to happen. I, I, that's why I tend to miss a lot of rules. <laughs> that's why in Arc Nova, I'm always like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You well, can't I do didn't read the rule book. <laughs> that was teach. Although <laughs> we all agreed to kind of read it and we'll just start playing it and figuring yeah. it out. Yeah, and you didn't read you it. You guys that's did fair. well. I didn't. <laughs> 
All right. That is my number four on Mars. All right. My number four is also a space game. It's Gaia Project. I had, I, I really wanted to, part of me wanted to Terra Mystica Gaia Project in just kind of the same kind of category. Yeah. Isn't it but, the same game? That's what people say, but there's definitely differences. There's enough differences that they feel different. So mm-hmm. I Gaia Project, I hear, is a much better version of Terra Mystica. And I just, I don't know, maybe I just missed the opportunity when it came out and everyone was playing it. Like, mm-hmm. and I was just, it was just, I didn't get to sit down and play that game, but. I also haven't played it because I didn't really care for Terra Mystica that much, so I didn't bother. I heard some of the like negatives of Terra Mystica got fixed in Gaia Project. I don't know. It's it's definitely one of those games that, man, I really need to get that one played. I would be willing to play that one. I'd give it a go. Oh, for yeah? If you're willing like... to teach it to me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I have no qualms teaching it. We'll, we'll figure it out. All right. My number four, Gaia Project. All right. My number three, I'm so embarrassed about this because this is like a total game that I would love and there's no reason why I shouldn't haven't played it yet and that's Everdale it's rated 30 on BGG it's like little woodland creatures I love nature I love engine building I think I love everything about this game I don't know where I was when it came out and why I haven't played it I have no idea we've and we've talked about sitting down and playing this game a bunch of times it just doesn't like for whatever reason it doesn't this if there was a game that you're like let's Let's make a game Natasha would like. It'd probably be Everdale. Yeah, it would 100% be Everdale, and I have no excuse why I haven't played it. I think people are just aren't playing it very much anymore, so it's not really around as much, in our group at least. We'll add it to the list of games that we're going to review in the future <laughs> yeah. so we can get it played. Yes. Yeah. I, lo- I got one of the expansions. They have a ton of expansions. I don't know how much extra all of them add. But even the base game, it has a real weird ramp up where the first few seasons you're not doing too much because you don't have that many workers. But as you accumulate workers, your last season, you do way more than you did in your first season. Mm-hmm. So the first season, people are just like, is this e- like, this is it? We're not going to be able to accomplish all this. But you do get to accomplish it all. Mm-hmm. This would be, I think, my number one as far as the ones I want to play the most. Everdale? If I had ordered it, yeah, it'd be Everdale. Plus, right. I think it'd be the easiest one. I would almost teach this to myself, but <laughs> but not so much. But I haven't bought it, so I don't need to. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we'll get that played soon, guaranteed. All right, that's we'll that's it. my number three Everdale, which w- I will be playing soon, Pro- probably. Maybe. <laughs> All right, my number three. Honestly, my number three is probably my most embarrassing pick out of my top ten that I haven't played, and that is Agricola. I. Oh. I've never played it. You know, Caverna was out and that's, you know, everyone seemed to like that one a little bit better. I've heard, you know, Agricola can be, I don't want to say punishing, but there's definitely people who are good at it and people who are not good at it. And it forces you to do a bunch of different things. So, you know, something like Caverna tends to be more open-ended. If you want to be a sheep farmer, you can farm sheep. In Agricola, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure you do all these different things. So I would definitely love to give it a try. Uh, but again, I just yeah, I've never. It would be it's a good been one Caverna. for us to play. It would be a good one for us to play at Origins because it'd be it'd play good at three. I think it's gonna be a tough one to play if not because people. Yeah, it's not near as good as Caverna is just a way more fun to play. So if I had the choice, I'd always pick Caverna over Agricola. Although I do love Agricola um solo, 
And I, I only play on the app because it's just a lot of work to get the game out. I no reason to. I have the app. And I love it because then it's more puzzly and you're really all about like maximizing your turn and waiting for that like wood to build up and stone to build up before taking it. Where in when you play with other people, like you everybody needs wood. So everyone's grabbing the wood spot and it just seems so wasteful to grab it when there's only a few on there. You know, it's just yeah, it's just so tight and punishing that it just doesn't feel very fun. So I think it's a really hard one to get that you'll have to get to the table. I would definitely recommend the app. <laughs> I, I think I'd rather play the physical version. No, I'm gonna the play app is apps so only. good. It's so much fun yeah. to play the solo on the app. I don't, I don't know. The problem, too, I have another side tangent. The problem sometimes I have with like playing on the app or playing on, let's say, Board Game Arena or Yukata or whatever is you overplay a game, so then I start not necessarily wanting to play the physical version. So take mm-hmm. something like Grand Austria Hotel. We've played it a ton on Yukata. And because of that, I'm wondering if I should keep my physical copy because I can just play it on there. And I've played it so many times that I don't know if I'd ever play it in real in real life now. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense? I don't know. So it's kind of that weird balance you got to do. That's why I don't necessarily play Great Western Trail all that often on Board Game Arena because I don't want to get in a situation where I'm like, eh, I don't want to, I don't know, I've played it enough. It's kind of done. Yeah, you tend to play yeah. it a lot more on those apps and stuff. Very true. But I would be fine. I think it'd be fine if you did that with Agricola only because nobody's out there playing it anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, my number three, Agricola. All right, my number two is Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. So I have played Clank, but I really want to play this legacy game because I've heard it's so good and I love legacy games and I love deck builders and I just really want to play it and I want to get a group together and play the whole thing. Clank is a good game. I really like Clank. I have Clank in space mm-hmm. and I mean, I love legacy campaign games. I love an overall arching story. So if they can do it and it's, it seems to be done extremely well, you get to actually play your copy afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see this. I don't even need that. I'd be fine just playing it, going through it, and being done with it. Just I, tossing yeah. the copy. Yeah. I would totally pick this up and buy it if I could get a group that would play it with me. That's the problem is it's such a commitment to do a legacy game like that. I mean, you know, I'm down. But. All right. Let's do it. I know Marty would be down. He loves Clank games. For sure. All right. That is my number two, Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. All right, so my number two is also a game I recently was gifted. And for somebody who enjoys co-ops, I'm surprised I've just never played it. My number two, Robinson Crusoe Adventures on a Cursed Island. Mm. I hear this is an extremely difficult cooperative game, which actually makes me more excited to play it. And yeah, it's one of those things that you draw cards and the decisions you make will come back to haunt you later on. And it just Mm -hmm. sounds so incredibly awesome like cool the concept seems great and i've always wanted to play it i just for whatever reason i've never gotten it to the table like i said i recently got a copy as a gift and guaranteed me and my wife are going to be playing this game relatively Mm -hmm. soon yeah i was just gonna say i think she'd like it a lot yeah so you know when she's not wanting to play a regular game and beat me she you know (laughs) co-ops are a thing but so yeah, it's it's definitely a game I'm I'm chomping at the bit to get to the table. So yeah, my number two, Robinson Crusoe, Adventures on the Cursed Island. My number one is the highest rated game on BGG, not the highest, highest on my list. 
It's number three, and that's Brass of Birmingham. I have not played any of the Brass games. Hold on, and- hold on, hold on. Because my number one is also Brass Birmingham. Because <laughs> <laughs> you said you that one was on your list. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we've never played any of these games before, and they're so high rated. I have to play it. I think this is one that I would enjoy. I think it'd be worth the effort of learning how to play it. Yeah, it's number three, so I need to play it. Yeah, I guess to just kind of tie in, since my number one's Brass Birmingham, I kind of put Brass Birmingham, but Lancashire would also be on that list. It's rated I, really high as well. Yeah, I mean they they're they're so highly regarded, especially Birmingham after it got you know it's it, the upgrade and re-release and everything from Roxley that. It just, yeah, it's one of those games that I've seen it played at game night a couple times and I've just never been able to like sit down and play it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would just love to be able to play this game. I've heard mm-hmm. so many good things. It's so highly rated. I mean, what you said three number three. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. How come, how have we not played this game? Yeah. It's embarrassing it, for you more specifically since you've been in the industry, you know, <laughs> the hobby longer than me you know i don't learn big heavy games like this unless somebody teaches them to me no so i really blame my friends not me yeah that's what i yeah we need to blame our gaming group for not teaching us this game yes. <laughs> shame on you yeah sh- for shame you guys for shame <laughs> yeah i won't i will not pick this up and learn it on my own somebody's gonna have to hold my hand through that oh you are definitely not learning this game on your own that's no way <laughs> I don't even think you're going to sit through a rules teach. No. You're going to be like, no. what are my options on my first turn? It's going to yes. be these two things. That's the, that's the thing. I don't even want to listen to the rules. Let's just get started playing it. Walk me through this. Yeah, you can barely sit through the rules on a game like Honeybus. How are you going to do it? Through I don't know. You're just, yeah, you're, I don't know. The answer is you're not. I'm just going to just, you know, figure it out as I go. Well, yeah, Play it again. One, yeah, one turn at a time. <laughs> Oh, so all good. right all right so i guess our i guess you know number our number one brass yeah, birmingham there we so. go we have i think we need to put that at the top of the list to find somebody to teach us this game and play it what we need to do is play both and then compare the two and see how different the two are what we need to do that's true we should do that as well for sure all right. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk all about what we did at Origins. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions or comments to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. And have a great week, everybody. See you next week.